Welcome to the Diversity at Work podcast, where we unpack what it's really going to take to close the gender gap in the workplace. Here is your host, leadership coach and diversity consultant, Andrea Jansen. This episode is sponsored by Duckish Natural Skincare. I am super excited that they have jumped on board to sponsor the show because I actually know Carolyn Crew, the founder, personally. A couple of years ago, before there was a Reignite Your Ambition coaching program, before there was a workshop, before there was an ambitious everyday journal, I had an idea for an exercise to help people get clear on what drives their ambition so that they could set goals, feel fulfilled, and have something to strive for. So before I could do that, I actually had a group of entrepreneurs that I knew and I asked them if I could test the exercise on them. So I asked Carolyn, what is the something that you're striving for? What drives your ambition? What motivates you to get up every day and go to work? And she said 2%. And I didn't really expect an answer like that. And I asked her to explain. And she said that only 2% of women entrepreneurs actually reach a million dollars in annual revenue in their businesses. And that is what motivated her to start Duckish Natural Skincare. They have lotion sticks, lip balm, baby products, and bath products. They're really innovative. And my favorite product is their lotion stick. It looks like deodorant, but it's actually lotion. So you just rub it on your legs, you rub it on your arms, your hands, your face. You can even use it as a lip balm. And I love it because it's solid. And when I travel, I can keep it in my carry-on and I don't need to worry about having too much liquid to get through security. And for all of the Diversity at Work listeners, Duckish is offering you 15% off of your order. So you need to head to duckish.ca, that is D-U-C-K-I-S-H, .ca and enter the promo code diversity at work at checkout and you will get 15% off of your order. The way I see it is that if you need to buy lotion anyways, might as well buy it from a women-owned business so that you can do your part to close the gender gap. They ship to the US and Canada, so head to duckish.ca and enter the promo code diversity at work and you will get 15% off. Hi, Andrea Jansen here, and on this week's episode of the Diversity at Work podcast, I am interviewing my friend and fellow leadership coach, Jen Wicks. And the thing I admire most about Jen is her ability to conquer really, really hard things and get her head in the game to make them happen. She is a long distance cyclist and has done these multi-day intense mountain biking races in South Africa, in the Middle East. And I am super excited to share this interview today where we talk about mindset and also what it means to be an authentic leader today. Hi, Jen. Thank you so much for coming on my podcast. Hey, Andrea. Thank you so much for having me. So this is Jen Wicks, and can you start off by introducing yourself and tell everybody listening what you do? Sure. Uh, so I'm Jen Wicks, and I, um, I'm the owner of Jen Wicks Coaching, which I operate from Newfoundland and Labrador right now. And I help leaders create meaningful connection through authentic conversations. Um, basically, I'm a leadership coach. I do lots of facilitation. And I'm also an endurance cyclist. Yes, I love it. That's what I love about you because you you are hardcore. So Jen and I met at (laughs) Royal Roads uh, University during our coach training. And what I remember so clearly about you is one of the times we were in the class, your husband came with you. And I remember being like, oh, where's your husband? Like, I never actually saw him at any point. And you're like, oh, he's just mountain biking, exploring Victoria, which is beautiful mountains and oceans on the West Coast of Canada. I'm like, that's pretty awesome. I wish I could go mountain biking right now. (laughs) Um, So I just love that about you. It's like you and your husband both have these extreme goals and you push each other and you make it happen for each other. So I think I just wanted to share that with you, Jen, because I really admire that about you. And I think it's really awesome. And you inspired me actually last summer to try mountain biking after I had not used my bike off of pavement or like a gravel trail in probably seven years. So that's amazing. That's amazing. It's a role model for me. 
That's so cool. Yeah. And about uh, my husband coming to Victoria with me, um, that may have been a mistake. Uh, he was obsessed with Vancouver Island for about five years. He was like desperate to move there. <laughs> so we ended up moving to Newfoundland, but we gave it a really good uh, try to move to Vancouver Island. <laughs> That's awesome. So let's take it back to kind of like what life was like for you. Cause you've had a lot of changes in the past five years. So before you started going to coaching school, kind of like you used to live in Qatar, moving back to Canada, figuring all that. Let's like take me back and describe life for you. Uh, yeah, that's such a good question. Um, lots of changes. And I would even go back, you know, seven years ago, I would say. Um, I met my husband. I became a stepmom. Uh, you know, I was working in Qatar. I started cycling lots and lots and all different kinds of cycling I was doing lots of water sports as well and um yeah I mean it's you you don't realize how much things change until you look back and looking back now I can see how much uh has changed and how much I've grown um I would say you know just in terms of what we're going to talk about today and about the coaching piece uh before I met you and before I started that journey of coaching, I would say I was very inward focused. Uh, I was very hard on myself and I felt like that gave me my edge. It uh, was kind of a, a hook that I kept coming back to again and again and thinking if I just beat myself up a little bit more, if I just am a little bit harder on myself, then I can achieve more. I was very much in that, you know, kind of unhealthy striving mode. Oh, so you thought that was like your edge, like you said, that is my edge. So you thought that was your advantage. Yeah, I thought it was what you needed to do in order to achieve big things. Okay, so that's interesting. So what happened? Yeah, so it was really destructive, as you could probably imagine. <laughs> um, it, you know, it was just this um, um, pattern, I guess, and a habit. It was really a habit that I kept going back to. And uh, when I met my husband, he just had this totally different outlook on life. And he was very patient. Uh, he was very you know, his approach to even just the cycling. Uh, he was very adventurous and just, uh, I felt fearless, he, that he was fearless. Um, and yeah, that made such a huge impact on me to know somebody like that. And you and were both doing these extreme sports at the time, right? When you met? Uh, so not really. I was sort of just getting into it again. I mean, I always rode a bike, but uh, it wasn't until I met him that I started doing crazy things on my bike. And one of the first things we did, you know, I think we had known each other for a year and, and just been, you know, kind of going on day trips and stuff outside the city, mountain biking in the desert, that sort of thing. And racing, we did some uh, kayak racing and, and, that, and started to get into, I remember my first bike race was in Qatar, a mountain bike race. And one of the first things we did together was, uh, I guess, around one year after meeting, we went to Nepal on this 10-day mountain biking uh, trip where we had to ride from Pokhara to Kathmandu. Um, I can't even remember the, what the distance was, but it was just, uh, it was my first real mountain bike. <laughs> it was a 26-inch hardtail. It was so painful. And, uh, you know, we were camping in tents every night. It was just really extreme. If I think about it now, if I did it now, even it would be difficult. Um, but yeah, I mean, that was one of the first things that we did together. This, you know, just the planning of it and saying, oh yeah, let's do this. I, I don't know what I was thinking before, <laughs> before I went, but I'm so glad I did it. So I'm really curious about the mindset because that sounds amazing, uh, that trip, but this mindset of your husband, who you wasn't your husband then, about like, let's do it, positive, and you with this like hard on yourself, this edge, how did that dynamic play out? I just learned a lot from seeing somebody who is, you know, quite confident and knowledgeable about things and, and learning that you don't have to be so hard on yourself in order to get there. And you got there, right? You did the trip. 
I did the trip. I finished, you know, I, I think, well, I got really sick on the last day actually. So I didn't actually finish the last day, but I, you know, as much as I could do, I did. And, uh, yeah, it was such a confidence booster because if you had asked me on day one, if I was going to finish, I definitely would have said no. And there were only three women on that trip. And, uh, you know, yeah, it was just an incredible learning experience for me. And to see if, when you, what happens when you set higher expectations for yourself. So I love it. So it just kind of, you had this outside influence on you and you're like, wow, there's a different way of looking at the world. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So then what made you go from live in your life to be like, okay, I think I want to be a coach and help other people be more authentic, change their mindsets at all these awesome things that you do. <laughs> well, now I think I can articulate it better than I would have been able to at the time, but it was very much still, I was in that mode of like searching, what am I going to be? What am I going to do? And kind of resume building all that stuff. And what happened was I was going through a really hard time at work and what I would now refer to as tall poppy syndrome, which oh. I'm sure you're familiar okay, with. Back the truck up a little bit. <laughs> Describe what your job was in Qatar, because this is really cool. This place that you work, this Atlantic Canadian school in the Middle East. So describe that place and what you did there. And then let's talk about tall poppy syndrome. Yeah. So I worked at a Canadian college in Qatar and um, our students were from all over the place, a very diverse population. Most of our teaching staff uh, were, were Canadian. And um, yeah, so I had this kind of crazy relationship with a coworker who, like I say, in hindsight, I see it for what it was. It was bullying. It was tall poppy syndrome. It was a woman, which I realized, you know, men and women can both be um, perpetrators of tall poppy syndrome. And, you know, just this idea of it, it I think it takes many forms and, uh, you know, it, it's anything from outright bullying to gaslighting to not acknowledging people for their contributions, um, leaving people out. It can be quite isolating for the person who's being cut down. Okay, so let's talk about what it is, because I don't think in Canada we, we've really embraced that term yet. I, th I think it started in Australia, and I think it's kind of like in their language now, but I know in Canada it's still not part of our everyday language. So what I know understand it to be is that that you people see the tallest poppy and they they think scarcity and they think you know what that tall poppy is going to take away from my ability to grow and thrive and flourish and be seen so you go out and you try to chop them down so that they can be beneath you is that yes 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 that's also my understanding of it there's a great report uh, that was done in canada um Rumit Bilan, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, uh, she is uh, one of the authors of the research and she continues to do a lot of work around this tall poppy syndrome. Um, you know, it is very important because most of the victims of it are women. Uh, I don't know if I should say victims, but most of the people who are subjected to it are women. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it does diminish our confidence. And what I heard from a lot of other women in my uh, professional life who've been subjected to tall poppy syndrome is just that they've sort of turn inwards a little bit and, and they lose their confidence and they think uh, they adopt the strategy of just flying under the radar. Okay. So you literally like it works because then you yourself lower yourself so that you're not that shining light. You're not making the change. You're not having all that influence. So when you're doing this at this, in this organization, you were not a teacher, right? You were part of the administrative team. Uh, I was right. faculty, but I yeah. was um, a faculty mentor. So I was there to support faculty in their professional development and in their classroom teaching. Okay, cool. Okay. So yeah. So I guess, you know, from there, the next logical kind of departure point is that um, I was experiencing all of these things at work, which were, I was still so inward focused. I was blaming it. I was taking it all on myself. What have I done? There's something I need to do differently. But I was becoming increasingly frustrated and it all kind of came to a head at one point and I just needed somebody to talk to. And because I was trying to just solve it on my own and figure it out, I hadn't reached out to anyone. So I knew this 
man who works down the hall who was a coach and he had gone to Royal Roads to do his coaching certification, but I didn't quite know what coaching was yet. And I thought it was going to be like therapy or something. So I, I don't know. I just needed somebody to talk to. So I ran down the hall <laughs> and I, I found him in his office and I said, do you have some time for me? And it was the end of the day. And he said, yes, I can make 20 minutes for you right now. And it was the most powerful 20 minute conversation I've ever had. And I tell that to everyone and I'm not exaggerating when I say that it was actually transformative. So I went in there in tears and I walked out of there after this short conversation with just direction and purpose and confidence. After this conversation, you went back and you had a new outlook. What happened? So I left that conversation feeling more confident and more professional, I want to say. Uh, I started to see myself differently and it was that sort of bigger context that I could see and, and, you know, how I was showing up in it. So what it allowed me to do, I think, was to see myself differently in the relationship. It also started me on this path to self-managing better. So whereas previously I would get very triggered by this person, uh, I might, you know, leave a meeting and cry or go and vent with a friend. Now I was making more intentional decisions about how I wanted to show up. And what that allowed me to do was to be more um, assertive. It allowed me to self-manage my own emotions in the moment better so that I could have more clarity and focus. And that allowed me to advocate for myself. I love it. So I'm really curious, what happened to the people around you? Um, So yeah, that's really interesting. People definitely noticed that I was different and some people commented on it. So I did have allies at work, but they weren't strong allies to, you know, really come forward and and stand up for me. So I really had to do that on my own. But what they were doing kind of behind the scenes, I would say, is coming to me and saying things like, I noticed that, you know, I noticed that you tried something different today. I noticed that you listened very carefully today. I noticed that blah, blah, blah. So they were, they were picking up on it. And some people were very supportive of that and they liked what they saw and they celebrated that with me, which was very exciting. Then other people were not happy about that because of course when you change especially a person who is bullying you and and wanting to control you they're not going to like that so those people um also changed and not necessarily in a good way (laughs) so did it amplify Um, their bullying or i would say it, you know, and because it was over such a long period of time, there were various different iterations of it. And, you know, one of the things that the, the coaching did for me was, and, and uh, I have to say, my work with Tana Hemmonsley with Authentic Leadership Global really put me on a path because it um, gave me real tools and resources that I could use. So at one point, I, I kind of went in and to, with the team and I approached it as, uh, like, let's try some of this stuff if, if you're on board with that. And so we were actually using some of the, the tools that I use now as a coach. And it was this very rich environment for me to learn so much. I would say it didn't get us the results necessarily that I would have liked to see. Because it's that old, you know, kind of lesson that we learned right back in the beginning of learning to be coaches that people need to want it. They need to want to change and it has to be genuine. So there was a, some, you know, some people were on board with it in a disingenuous way. So, you know, we've really got to be um, intentional about enrolling people who want to be enrolled, I think. Yes. Um, but yeah, it was, it was such a huge uh, learning opportunity. Okay, so then what went from that to you becoming, because I just saw a video of you on the International Coach Federation website highlighting you in that workplace using coaching to build up a leader and help her figure out her leadership strategy in the organization. So where did this go from you just being like, okay, I'm going to be the change to you literally being the one 
leading the change in the organization. So that was really interesting because that was all sort of happening a little bit underground. I didn't really have tons of support for the coaching. Um, so I was working away and just kind of putting myself out there as, as I'm doing now as a solopreneur, I was sort of doing it in, internally. And so I was reaching out to people who I thought would be great clients and saying, you know, here's what I do. Are you interested in, in being coached? And so I did get some traction from some of the leadership team. And Shauna, who's featured in that video, was an amazing client to work with. She, you know, right from day one, we started on, the, on her core values. And she's given me permission to, to talk about this, uh, you know, elements of this journey. So it's okay for me to share. Um, but she came in day one and we did her core values. And she just was like, I'm totally not in alignment with my core values. This makes a lot of sense to me. And so it was just, you know, it just, we really connected uh, from day one and she was just a, a student of it. You know, she just wanted to soak it all up. And what was happening in that relationship was we had a coaching dynamic where I was wearing my coach hat. And then also I had this kind of facilitator element where I was sharing with her the kind of behind the scenes stuff of coaching. And she was able to take that back to her team and take a coaching approach to her leadership. And as you could see in that video, it had this real trickle down effect where it was like people coaching, people coaching people, and they were bringing it home to their families. Amazing. It was, it was going out into the community and into these larger organizations in the community because some of their spouses were like, you know, in management for these large organizations in Qatar. And they were saying, oh, I tried this with my team. The thing that you know, I had shared with Shauna that she had shared with her team. And it was just so incredible to get that feedback from them. So this ripple effect of happening is happening because of you just started this coaching. So I want to go back to these roadblocks. So you talked about this really toxic workplace where you're being bullied, you're experiencing tall poppy syndrome. Do you think that's was the reason you got into this? Like, is that what led you down this path? Yeah, I mean, okay, so first of all, I want to say too that it wasn't all toxic and there were so many wonderful people that I worked with and parts of the organization wanted me to shine. It just, you know, there was always that kind of cloud hanging over that I so think people, was very impactful. Organizations are people, people are not perfect, people are diverse and it's like yeah. you just faced that in your workplace. Yeah, 100%. So with the coaching... Um, yeah, I would say because it had such a huge impact on me, that 20 minute conversation, immediately I thought I need to know how to bring this to the people that I'm in service to. So my initial thinking was I'm going to go do that program because that guy did that program. Mm -hmm. And I was, you know, you, you, that's how you learn about these things. So I, I decided to go to that school because he was so effective and when I got there, I was still that first day when I was sitting in the chair in that classroom and I was thinking, this is just something I'm going to add to my toolkit. And they started talking to us right away. Like you are coaches, you're a coach from now on because you're going to be going out and trying this with people. And so they, they told us like, basically you're a coach now. And I was very skeptical about that. Because I thought, no, I'm not. I don't know anything about this. I, I've only been coached a little bit. I don't know how to do this. But right away, they kind of took us into the fold. And I don't know if you remember that. But I sort of drunk the Kool-Aid on that first day. And it, there was no turning back because... It's the I, mindset that your husband instilled in you. The possibility <laughs> that I can do this. The not being hard on yourself. Because that's what they wanted you to think when you sat there in that classroom. And... I think because you had that influence, you were like, I got to go all in or else I got to get on a plane and go back. <laughs> well, there was that. And I think was there was also that it sort of pulled back the curtain on why were, why were those 20 minutes so impactful? I started to see what goes into that. And it is just a conversation but as you know, it's not just a conversation, but yeah, you know, on the surface. Had, yes. Cause you had tons of them with your friends. Like you talked about the crying, the venting, those are conversations too. And yeah. they didn't help you move forward. Right. But that 20 minutes 
And I'm sure the venting sessions were probably longer than 20 minutes. <laughs> Sometimes. I had some really good friends who limited me, but... Uh, uh, <laughs> But it's like, yeah, you could go out for 45 minutes with some friends and vent, or those 20 minutes with that coach is what like got you to move forward. So that, it's really cool. And it felt with him, it didn't feel like a formula. It didn't feel like he was using any kind of methodology. It just felt like a conversation. And I think that's the brilliance of it is when you can really just have that finesse and make it feel very, you know, when it's just authentic and real and spontaneous. But yet there is all of that work that goes into preparing for, for creating those conditions. Cool. Okay. So you're back in Canada now and you're working for yourself. You're growing your business and it's all about authenticity. And I have two questions. It goes, one goes back to your work with this, with Shauna. You talked about the first thing you did was her values. So tell me about that because I know that is something we know, don't ever talk about in everyday conversation and we don't really most people don't really know what that means so just like dumb it down for me <laughs> explain <laughs> what that really means like go way through your values yeah okay so first i would say let's just kind of define authentic leadership because that's you know the kind of the the foundation of this work. So an authentic leader, and I'll just read the definition from Tana Hammonsley, and, and that's the work that I, that I do um, with Authentic Leadership Global. An authentic leader is a person whose life and leadership are guided by a strong inner clarity about the right thing to do. And to me, the right thing to do is, you know, it goes back to those core values. And if, if you want kind of a visual, and this is how I work with all my clients, is this visual of um, bookends. And one bookend is core values. And I would say the other bookend is like your personal vision or your purpose. And all the stuff in between that, we align to those two bookends. The core values piece can be so simple as, and I, I have a, a free um, core values exercise from Virtus, the company Virtus that I can send you if you want to share that with your podcast yeah. listeners. And that's how I start with everyone. I also sometimes do workshops around this and it's really basic. It's just reading through a list and kind of highlighting the things that resonate with you. These, this list of values, things like fairness, authenticity, uh, generosity, community, family, things like that are, are at our very core. And what we do then is we kind of start to boil them down to what are the really essential, what's at my very core. And Brene Brown in um, Dare to Lead has a whole chapter dedicated to values. And there's, she presents an exercise in that as well. So that's another resource. There's tons of resources about core values. But that's a really simple one. And she, she asks people to boil it down to kind of two core values. And then you can, you know, put them on a sticky note on your computer or something. Where, so you should be able to see them somewhere. And then she talks about living into your values. So what we want to do is operationalize those words. What do they mean to us? How do they show up in our daily lives? What do they look like? when we're not living into our values and when we are living into them. And one way to do that is to do a kind of reflection at the end of each day and to look back on your day and say, uh, where was I triggered? Because often when we're triggered, it's because of a core value that's been violated or that we haven't lived into. Can you give us, give me an example? Uh, okay. So, let's say that one of your core values is family and you've thought long and hard about how you want to be, you know, how you want to show up with your family and you want to spend more time with them or whatever your goals are around that value. And then somebody comes up to you at work and says, I really need you to stay until midnight. Oh, okay. Yeah. And you go, Oh yeah, yeah, sure. No problem. I, I am happy to do that. But then you sit there all resentful for the, four or five hours leading up to midnight thinking, why did I do that? Um, you know, I don't know if that's the greatest example, but we know when we're feeling, uh, you know, those kind of resentment, uh, frustration, 
sometimes it's, you know, whatever emotions come up. I I have one for me from this summer. So one of my core values is adventure. Like I need to explore. I need to be doing new things. And one thing I bought a few years ago was a stand up paddleboard. And it was sitting in my basement for the entire summer. And I bought it because I love adventure. I want to explore the ocean, the lakes, the rivers, all those things. And we did a family camping trip and I took it and it's a lot of work. It's really big. You strap it to the car and the ocean was so wavy and windy and we went and it was a sit down paddleboarded day. And that was the only time I had used it all summer. This is a couple weeks ago. And I was mad. I was resentful. I like the weather. I have too many kids. We have too much stuff. We have to bring camping. I'm all mad blaming the world because my the time I booked to do stand-up paddleboarding did not work out. Mm. And I was journaling like probably two weeks ago. And I was thinking about like, what are the, like, how did I honor my values yesterday? How am I going to do it tomorrow? And I was thinking about my personal values, like adventure. I'm like, literally, I have not done anything to fuel my sense of adventure. <laughs> yeah. And it motivated me to Get that thing out of the basement, wake up at 5.30, strap it to the car, and be on the ocean. I've tried a new lake and be there for the sunrise and do it. And I've done it, I think, about five times already. And it's pretty magical because I feel more motivated. I feel more connected. And that's something so simple. But I didn't even realize I wasn't fueling it. And that trigger was, like, literally the camping trip. It was wavy. It was, like, it, it... robbed me of joy on that camping yeah. trip because I was pissed off because you know what I wasn't honoring it in my everyday life and I gave myself a two-hour window to <laughs> that value in like three months of summer and like yeah yeah it all needs That's to happen my, today it needs yes. to look perfect yeah a lot of pressure that was my trigger so yeah so that's my one of my personal examples yeah that's a great example and you, you know you say it's a simple thing but it's so impactful when we don't do it and when we do make the time for it. So I think it, it, they, these things are all simple things when we look at it in context, um, but they're not simple to do because we're influenced by so many factors. So what's a positive way? So you can look at that trigger because you like nailed the head with my triggering behavior. What's a positive way to know what your values are, like to figure it out? Ah, I think that's a really tough one because I, I, I struggle with that one actually, because sometimes I question whether, you know, when you get that good feeling, that good energy, like, yay, I've done something good. It, it can, I think that can also be a bit of a hook. So, um, for example, with the ultra cycling, um, I'm, I have a lot of friends who are endurance cyclists as well. And I read a lot about it. And a common theme is this kind of um, uh, sadness or letdown after a big event. And it's very common. And some people get quite depressed. um, And it can last, you know, quite a long time in some cases. And I think, you know, one thing that I've been starting to get really curious about is when that energy builds up, like when you see a race, for example, advertised and, and, you know, for me, when I start to entertain the idea, hmm, would I maybe possibly be able to do something like this? There is this kind of energy that builds. And sometimes that's pressure. Sometimes it's social pressure. Sometimes it's ego. Um, so I, what I, I'm trying to do now more of is to tease out this you know, where is that? What's underneath that feeling? Because yes, is it my ego? Is it that pressure from others? Or is it intrinsically something that really means a lot to me and connects with my core values and my vision of how I want to show up in the world? That's so good. Because I can see it. I totally know what you mean. It's like the addiction to that achievement. And is it that what it is? Or like getting it's like, almost getting more curious about the journey. Like, what do you like about it? Do you like the training? Do you like the in the race? The I've never done an extreme cycling ride, but I can only imagine like it's very intense and there's so many things going on for people in that. 
And like, being curious about what is it about that whole experience that brings you the joy? Yeah, absolutely. And, and so that's just one example, but I think there are lots of areas in our life where that shows up. So for example, if you are the kind of person who feeds off of doing nice things for other people, but then you're complaining about it or getting resentful about it at home, um, what is it, you know, why do you keep doing that then? So if you're like extra, you know, sweet and kind to people and generous, but then there's, you know, and so that maybe that energy builds when you do those things and you feel very proud of yourself and like a good person after you've done it, but then it's actually not, it's not all this altruistic, um, purposeful thing. It's actually... I'm bringing back a Brene Brown quote for you. Have you seen the movie Wine Club on Netflix? (laughs) Wine Club? Yeah. Brene Brown makes a cameo in it. It's about 10 minutes long. And (laughs) you know Brene Brown's all about boundaries. So she says, there's no such thing as vulnerability without boundaries. And all these girls are out for a birthday celebration. And then they see Brene Brown in the bar. And all, I think there's eight of them, they, they just go all over her and they're like Brene Brown Brene Brown all these questions and she goes there's no such thing <laughs> as vulnerability without boundaries and then she says boundaries and then <laughs> they leave so <laughs> I feel like that's another thing is that like you can you once you know what your values are but really understanding your boundaries and having those boundaries with your generosity because if that if it's not bringing you joy anymore then that's a problem Yeah. So this brings us back to this idea of, you know, what is an authentic leader? Why do we talk about authenticity and leadership? And that idea of strong inner clarity about the right thing to do. The right thing to do. Okay. And the right thing to do. And, and what, you know, so there's like four C's to authentic leadership, clear, choiceful, consistent, and caring. So clear, we're clear about who we are, what we believe, and we're clear on our purpose. We're choiceful, which means we're intentional about our choices and our relationships with others. So really intentional, and that means really, you know, knowing what those um, boundaries need to be, what our core values are, things like that. Uh, We're consistent, so we don't feel like we have to wear a mask when we go to work, for example. Uh, we're basically the same across different areas of our life and people can depend on that. Um, and we're caring, which is includes that we've learned how to care for ourselves as well as others. Oh, I love that. You said we learn how to care for ourselves before you said (laughs) caring for others. That is a truth bomb. (laughs) Yeah. I'm really curious. I want to get, ask you more about this consistency piece because I know I've read Brene Brown's book too. And I know when I work with people, I ask them these questions. I ask them questions to figure out their values. They're like, oh, but what, how do you want me to answer my work or personal self? And people really can't get their mind around this idea that you're just one person. How do you get over that? And like, how do you amplify that consistency? Oh, that's a great question my mind immediately goes to the people who I've experienced who were really struggling with leadership roles. And from an outside perspective, without knowing what was going on inside their head, what I observed was that they were operating from a state of fear and scarcity, like you mentioned before. So they do feel like they have to wear a mask because they have this image of what leadership is and what being a leader is. And it's, it's divorced from their real life. And the damage that that can do to others is immeasurable. And I've seen that firsthand and I've witnessed it firsthand because when we're not authentic, you know, who, what are we doing? We're, you know, who are we in service to? And a lot of times we're in service to the wrong people. And this was one of the conflicts that I've had over my career is I'm always very clear on who I'm in service to, but there's often a disagreement 
with you know this these kind of traditional organizational hierarchies where bean counters are making decisions about people about you know in education for example about students and about faculty and how we support them and so i think that you know going back to understanding who we are really knowing who we are helps us to be the same across all of those different roles in our lives okay that's big because it's it's like you're bringing up that's loaded because you're bringing up all these things like the business needs to make money at the end of the day that's one reason why businesses exist but then yeah, like you said, the being like, okay, we can only afford to pay this many people, or we can only afford to send this many people on this training that will, you know, kind of set them up for success longer term in the company. We don't have the resources for everybody, but then it's up to this person, the leader to decide. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, you can be, to go back to Brene Brown, you can be clear and kind, you know, clear is kind, as she says. Um, it's not about wanting to please everyone and, and that's a whole other trap. And that's something that I think people mistake authenticity for uh, being a bit folksy and being everyone's friend and down to earth. But that's a mistake, I think, um, because it's also a different kind of performance. So being really authentic is being clear and compassionate and consistent and all the things that we talked about have you read reinventing organizations mm -mm. okay i would love to do a book club with you about reinventing organizations i yes. started one i started one in qatar but we didn't uh, quite get past the first meeting as often happens with book okay. clubs i have an opportunity for this we can do it on my ambitious everyday facebook group so it Sweet. will be virtual so if you're listening and you want in on this Make sure you join the Ambitious Everyday Facebook group. I'll put a link in the show notes and you can join and Jen will be there for the book club. Let's do it. We can start maybe mid-September might be a good time. That's awesome. So, so I'll share the details of the book. So it's Reinventing Organizations by Frederick Laloux. And uh, he talks about um, these different organizational models and where we've come from and the future of working in organizations and they're all kind of based on these colors that he's assigned to them. But the, um, it's, it's so rich and I've read it a number of times, uh, you know, in segments, I just kind of go back to it when I, when I need to. And it, it can be um, very hopeful because it, it shows that we have changed over time in terms of our models and it shows what, uh, where we're kind of heading towards if we continue on this trajectory. Oh, that's exciting. So it's for like aspiring leaders. You can be like, okay, if I want to be the change, if I want to create this place where everyone can be authentic at work and bring their whole selves to work, these are the kind of the things that I need to do. Absolutely. Yeah. Because as you say, you know, when we've got these decisions to make as leaders, but we're, we're operating under old mental models and old systems, we can't, make different kinds of you know our choices are limited uh, and, and and people's expectations of what we can and can't do are also very limited and that's I think the value of coaching is because I do think when you talk about authentic leadership but also like existing structures for work it is a conflict like there's absolutely conflict but I think coaching can help overcome that because it opens your mind to new ways so I know with some of my clients, sometimes they'll be like, Andrea, I have this problem and this is the situation, right? And it's like, okay, we only have this much money. We don't have enough people to do all the work. What can I do? And it's like, okay, I can hire somebody else, but the labor pool is too small, whatever. And they're always like, they only can, they come up with two options, right? And usually it's like, they're, they're not good. So I make them come up with 10 and it's really hard and they hate me for this. They're like, Andrea, it's impossible, but I make them. And by the time they get to 10, they want to keep going. So then they come up with like 12 or 13 and then we pick one. And usually it's like breakthrough, like new way of thinking. And I feel like that's how you have to do it because these systems are kind of in conflict with being authentic, showing up as yourself and moving forward. Does that make sense? Yeah, 
Yeah, it absolutely makes sense. And, and those, you know, kind of limiting beliefs and, and what we've learned socially uh, from how these systems work definitely contributes to people showing up inauthentically, without compassion, uh, wearing the mask. And, you know, that's not what we want. So, you know, what we want to see more of is people having that kind of inner clarity, understanding that everyone's learning, that we need to have compassion for one another, and that when we model that as leaders, it shows everyone else that it's okay to not have all the answers, it, you know, to empower others to come up with creative solutions rather than just feeling like you've got to go in and chair every meeting and have the last word and, you know, be the one to make all the decisions. So if someone's listening and they want to get started, they're like, this sounds great. Like, I want to take that mask off. Yeah. Where do they start? Core values. Core values. Okay. So do the core values. Just, I'll put the assessment in the show notes so people can start with that. And then how do they start applying it? So I, how I started it was I started journaling about it. So like I say, just a quick reflection at the end of the day before you leave work or if you work better in the morning, whatever it is, just have like a practice that you do every day um, that, you know, you just sit there for five, even if it's just five minutes and you say, you ask the same question, you know, how, where did my values show up today? Because sometimes people do that initial exercise and then it needs to be tweaked a bit. They're not happy with what they came up with on the first go and you want to come back to it again, but there needs to be something in between that keeps, this thread going and, and you keep coming back to it and returning to it. Um, when we just kind of try it once and then stick it in a filing cabinet somewhere, it doesn't really mean anything. It's when we have that consistency that we get somewhere. Yes. I love it. And also like it could change, right? You, the first time you do it, it might not be, you might not nail it the first time you might need that reflection to refine what it is. Yeah. And sometimes I'm like, well, I know when I first, I did, I've done it a number of times because I've gone through different trainings and stuff, but uh, one time I did it and the person who I was doing the training with said, some, said like one of her core values was abundance. And I was like, oh, I want that to be my core value, but it really isn't. It's just like something that I wish, you know, it's something I aspire to, um, to be able to have that mindset. Oh. So, so it's not actually a core value of mine when I really... Um, dig into it and when I look for it in my daily life, but it's a mindset that I can cultivate. So it's something that I've incorporated into my practice that I want to have a more abundant mindset. And I would say I've grown a lot in that area. Um, and, you know, so, so actually it's not a bad thing to hear what other people have to say as well, because it can teach you a lot about what your aspirations are and it may not be your core value essentially, but you can still, you know, you can still learn that and you can still bring that uh, quality into. To I wonder if it's a good way to build a team too, right? Like if you're really attracted to abundance and recognize, you know, like that's not my core value, but I really like that. So I'm going to look for that in people that I'm going to bring onto my team, or I'm going to align myself with people like that because I want to learn that, or I want to see that I want to, yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I mean, that's why you'd be a really good team member <laughs> because you're always seeing the opportunities and things. And I think that's really important is, you know, for people to be able to engage wholeheartedly in these types of um, activities or practices, whatever you want to call them, exercises. And when we can get a team on board to do that and get people enrolled in it, there's all kinds of possibilities that can open up. Okay, so I want to go back to possibilities and moving forward and being your, you're the same person in your personal life and your professional life. So one thing I really admire about you is your ability to do these really big races, like to set this big goal. I think you did like a multi-day mountain bike race through the desert, like very intense physical accomplishments. And I think that's amazing. But I'm really curious how that has transferred to your professional life and how the mindset stuff you had to work through to mountain bike for multiple days in the desert. How are you transferring that to your professional life? And like, how does it flow? Yeah. So, so it's not so much transferring it. It just is. Um, so it, it's, it's hard to explain, I think, but the, if I do a multi-day event, 
like an ultra endurance race. So the one that you're talking about in Oman, um, that took me four days, I think. And, uh, I didn't sleep for the last two days. Uh, you know, you want to try to stay moving as long as possible. So yeah, the mental piece is, is a challenge. And what it represents for me is this kind of microcosm of how I am in the rest of my life. It just all gets kind of smushed into these four or five days or however long the, the thing takes. Um, so during that event, you are confronted with all kinds of emotional responses and reactions. And sometimes it's because your nutrition is suffering or you haven't been practicing self-care. And so all of these things that we've talked about today show up on the bike. And it's really interesting to, to think about how, I guess, you know, what do we learn when we're out there doing a, a challenging event where the conditions are so extreme and different than our cozy day-to-day -day life? It, it's still, it, it's still equally challenging, I think, when you come back to your, to your normal life and your career and, and your work life. So it's just another opportunity or an extension of, of what you already are practicing. So for me is, you know, kind of an opportunity just to keep practicing the things that I'm practicing. I'm not, um, perhaps a great model for, for how I prepare and, and get out there. I'm really spontaneous with some of these events. And my husband's very detailed about preparing things. So, you know, he gets a little bit upset with me when I'm not really prepared. I'm so last minute kind of flying around the house the night before and trying to get everything packed on the bike. Different um, values. So yeah. like that. Yeah. <laughs> and then when I get out there, it's just me and the bike and, you know, whatever comes at me. And yeah, sometimes I haven't thought things through. Sometimes I'm not prepared as I should be. Sometimes I then have, you know, I have this very strong inner critic going just like I would in the office, just like I would in my business. Um, that all, all those same, same emotions, same patterns, same habits show up for me on the bike. I love it. So it's just literally the same, like the same. It's same, but different. But it, yeah, I mean, so, so I guess the, the lesson or the takeaway in it is when you, when you put in these things into practice. So when you get clear on your values and when you know what your purpose is and you know why you're out there, um, and, and you know, what's important to you, you can deal with whatever comes up in a healthier way, ostensibly. I mean, but you're not always going to do that. So one of my practices is just accepting what is and not being hard on myself. So when I hear myself go for that, beating myself up, saying, you know, oh, you weren't trained, prepared right? enough. When my yeah. husband was preparing, I should have prepared too, right? Like exactly. that's gonna come up every time. <clears throat> exactly, yeah. So when I, when I start to hear that, it's the practice is not, to shut it down or to say, oh, I shouldn't be saying those things. The practice is I'm aware that that's an inner critic. I'm aware that this is an unhelpful voice in my head. I'm aware that I am not the things that my, that inner voice is telling me and that I can choose something different. Ooh. So what do you choose in the moment, in the moment, in the, those intense races? Yeah. So in the moment, like one thing I was doing on this, when I did the cross Newfoundland, uh, which was like my seven days across the old Newfoundland trailway just recently, uh, it was so painful. I still can't really use my right arm very well. I've tended just from that ride. Like it was really extreme and, uh, I was crying a lot. So that was my kind of release. I think I was just in a lot of pain and I just was riding and crying and crying and riding. And so I was beating myself up, up about crying and saying, you know, just come on, get yourself together, Jen, you know, that whole like tough love voice in my head, which wasn't working. I was just, it was just making me cry harder. And so at, at some point I just had to kind of gather myself, give myself a rest on the side of the trail and breathe and just bring myself back to that grounded place of saying, is this how you want the ride to go? Do you want to cry for seven days or do you want to 
choose something different. And so my choice for what to do differently is just very basic things, breathing, eating, drinking, uh, taking care of myself. And that, you know, like I say, that's at home that might look slightly different, but I actually learned a lot about myself and my nutritional needs on the bike that do apply uh, at home. And I think, you know, when you have kids, you see it, if there's a real direct correlation between their nutrition and their behavior. And we forget about that as adults or we downplay it a bit. And so that's, you know, that's an important learning. So being able to then go, okay, I've now paid attention to my needs. I've fed myself. I've watered myself. I'm feeling, you know, a bit calmer. Now what, what do I want to do? So you can celebrate that you made a different choice or you can focus on the beauty around you. I stopped to take lots of pictures this time. I did some videos, things like that. So um, yeah, just appreciating gratitude. So all those practices that we talk about in coaching, they all come into play. It's, I think it comes down to you making a decision. Just be like, am I going to continue this crying, this negative self-talk, or I need to make another choice and then taking action towards that choice. That's what, like in a simple nutshell, that's what it sounds like you did. Yeah. And with compassion. So again, and getting curious about it, what's going on for you right now and talking to yourself as you would speak to somebody who you love and care for. Yes. I love it. Oh, so this is so good because I love that you could take this, these lessons from the bike and apply it to leadership because being a leader is really hard. There's like lots of hard decisions to be made. It's a hard job. Um, but you make it sound like that biking is hard. Extreme sports are really hard, but the fact that you can do it and you can talk about it, I just find it really refreshing and I can really visualize like applying that in the workplace. So thank you for sharing that. And I have one last question. So I always tell people, and this is something we learned in coaching to take action within 24 hours after they learn something new. So what is one thing that people can do that you would recommend that they do in the next 24 hours? I would say do the core values exercise if that's feasible. And if it's not, um, really simple thing just to start some kind of a practice would be um, I would say that, do you do morning pages? No. What's that? Uh, so it's from the artist's way, Julia Cameron. And it's basically just every morning you get up and you write three pages of anything that comes into your mind. It could be anything, grocery list, whatever, like no judgment about what you put on the page. And, um, it just sets you up for the rest okay, of your so day. Start journaling any way possible any way possible. Okay. So do your core values and start journaling. So those are two, but those are pretty <laughs> approachable and simple things to do. So if people want to learn more about you, where do we find you? Uh, so I'm quite active on LinkedIn and uh, I have a website, genwicks.com, J-E-N-N-W-I-C-K-S. Um, yeah. And here, if you're in Newfoundland and Labrador and listening, I have a leadership conversation series that we do. Um, couple of times a month usually and the next one is coming up on August 29th we're going to be talking about how can I say no and set boundaries and be okay with that Ooh, and uh, okay. we, meet, we meet at Moxie's for a nice meal and uh, yeah it's, it's really it's usually a really good conversation with a great group of people okay amazing I'll put links to all of those in the show description so thank you so much for coming on Jen this was really great thanks for sharing all your stories and your wisdom thank you it was so nice to chat with you before you go, I wanted to tell you about my brand new Ambitious Everyday Journal. It's actually a PDF and it is totally free and it's a process that you can do over nine days that will help you figure out what ambition means to you and help you set goals that are aligned with your ambition so that you can feel fulfilled, you can feel like you wanna do the work to make those goals happen. And this is actually the same process that I walk all of my clients through. So you know those clients that are bringing in $25 million deals for their company, clients that are going out and negotiating themselves $15,000 raises, this is where they all started in this exercise that I call What Drives Your Ambition. So if you want to get your hands on that, head to andreajansen.com forward slash journal and grab yours today. 
Hey, if you're still listening to the podcast, if you've made it this far, I would probably assume that you're getting some value out of these weekly podcasts. And I would like to ask you a favor. If you could take a minute to give me a review on iTunes. So click on the podcast, give me some comments, give me some feedback, because that helps spread the word about the Diversity at Work podcast, and it helps to build more diversity champions and get people learning, get people curious about what it's really going to take to close the gender gap. And after you've done that, if you still have some time, you could take a screenshot of the podcast and post it in your social media. That can help spread the word as well. Thank you so much.